At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. We're starting a new sermon series this, for this fall I'm really excited about. Um, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, we're going to walk through the first two chapters of a letter that we refer to as 1 Peter. Um, so if you open your Bible towards the tail end of it, obviously if you hit Revelation, you've gone too far, but if you start coming backwards, you'll see Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, keep going backwards, you'll see 1st and 2nd Peter. Going left to right, it's Hebrews, James, 1st Peter. And we're gonna look at the first two chapters a lot of the things that come after chapter two are really similar to what we just looked at in the book of Ephesians, which we walked through chapter one through chapter six earlier this year. So we're just gonna stop at chapter two because there's a lot of unique content there. Um, but I'm really excited about this letter. It is remarkably helpful and timely for us, and I'm looking forward to diving in. So we're gonna start by looking at the first 12 verses in this really opening salvo of the Apostle Peter writing to churches in modern-day Turkey. If you've heard of this funkily named country, Turkey, um, off of the Mediterranean coast near Greece and the Middle East. Um, several cities, areas you'll see mentioned here, they're no longer called these names anymore. Um, as I said, it's referred to as Turkey, but that's where the Apostle Peter is writing to. These churches that were dispersed across this area. So I'll read for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, this inheritance kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, so that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with 
glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When's the last time you felt far from home? Notice I'm not asking when was the last time you actually were far from home? Because it's possible to be thousands of miles away, for example, on a tropical vacation And your all-inclusive resort makes you feel right at home. So we may be far from home, but still feel at home if we're treated with hospitality and welcome. So when's the last time you felt far from home? Maybe you think of your childhood when your parents sent you to summer camp. All these new people in the middle of this new place felt like you drove two days to get there. Mom and dad just dropped you off and now they're a million miles away. And emerging inside of you is this aching, this longing for home. At least that was my experience. Summer of 1994, I was nine years old, Auburn University baseball camp. I might have cried myself to sleep clinging to a picture of my parents because I felt far from home. Or maybe you think of your first days in high school or your first days at university. The buildings are different. The relationships are different. The rhythms and pace of life are different. Often the amount of respect you're given is different. Stupid freshman. Fall of 2004, I began university about 10 hours away from home. Didn't know a soul there. And I might have called my mom every day for about three months. Didn't talk to her long, always, but I felt far from home. Or maybe you think of a trip overseas, another country, another culture. You try to tell a taxi driver where you want to go. You try to order food at a restaurant. You try to get help finding your bags at the airport because you speak different languages. None of it is working. I can't do anything. And in that moment of frustration and confusion, you feel far from home. When's the last time you felt far from home? Well, the original audience of the book of 1 Peter was feeling far from home. Now, most of them weren't feeling far from home because they were gone to summer camp or starting school far away or traveling across the world. Most of the people in this ancient time period never would have traveled more than 30 miles from the place they were born. So they weren't feeling far from home because of physical proximity. They were feeling far from home because of the way they were being treated for their faith in Christ. In the first century Roman Empire, it was not 
socially acceptable or normal to be a Christ follower. In their day and age, being a Christian was not going to be a welcomed thing in society. You weren't going to impress your voters, for instance, if you were a politician by saying, I'm a Christian. No, your governmental leaders, your employers, your family even would likely disapprove and treat you differently, if not out and out reject you or persecute you for pledging your highest allegiance to Christ. Later in this letter, in chapter 3, verse 16, Peter mentions about those he's writing to, how they have been slandered and reviled for their obedience to Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 4, he mentions how they've been maligned for not taking part in the surrounding sin and debauchery of their culture. In chapter 4, verse 16, Peter mentions how they have been, quote, insulted for the name of Christ. That's what they were going through. Slandering, maligning, insults, the way they were being treated all make these Christians, Christian believers feel like they're not at home. And what we see here in the very first verse of this book is that Peter says to the church, that's exactly right. You're not at home. We are strangers in the world. This world is not our home, and very often it is going to feel like it, and it doesn't feel good. Look again how Peter puts it in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. So notice the contrast here. On the one hand, Peter says, I am writing to the elect of God. And elect is just another way of saying chosen. He says, you church, all of you who are in Christ by faith, you are the chosen of God. And he goes on to say in verse two that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. In other words, before we knew the Lord, he knew us. Before we chose the Lord, he chose us. We are the elect of God. On the other hand, we are elect exiles. We are exiles in the world. And this word exile, it's the same word as immigrant. It's the same word as foreigner. It's the same word as stranger. Church, we are at home in the Lord. We are chosen of God and we are strangers in the world, exiles in the world. This world is not our home and that brings all sorts of difficulties. It can be hard being an immigrant. It can be hard to get along as a foreigner. All sorts of confusion, pain, frustration, longing can occur when we're far from home. So Peter wants to give, throughout this letter, he wants to give us guidance. He wants to give us encouragement. He wants to give us hope as we face the difficulties of being far from home. But the first thing he does in chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, the first thing he does is lead us in worship. You see there in verse 3, he starts out, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV translates it, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is aware, look, this community is discouraged, displaced, far from home, and so they may be tempted to despair their circumstances. They may be tempted to bitterness toward the lost who are treating them so poorly. They may feel hopeless on how to move forward. So the first thing we need to do is lift our eyes to God in worship. The first thing we need to do is reorient ourselves in a posture of worship toward who God is and toward what God has done for us. Because if we carry out our time in exile with a worshipful spirit, it's going to help us persevere in our pilgrimage in this foreign land. So as the rest of these verses unfold, verses three through 12, Peter gives us three reasons to praise God. First, praise God that heaven is secure. Praise God that heaven is secure. So look again at verses three through five, and what we're gonna see is that our salvation from beginning to end is all by the power and grace of God. Listen to these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. A new start. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you see it there in verse three. God begins our spiritual life by his great mercy, causing us to be born again, causing us to come to life in Christ. And you see there in verse five, God guards us on our journey as we trust in him. And you see there at the end of verse five, God reveals this end time salvation. So from beginning to end, God is savior. He initiates our salvation, he sustains our salvation, and he finishes our salvation. This is crucial, church, because if our salvation is dependent upon us, then our salvation is not secure. But Peter says here, from A to Z, salvation is of the Lord. Furthermore, think about verse three and a couple of the blessings that flow out of our new birth. First, he says, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters, what the apostle is saying here is that our hope is as certain as Jesus' grave is empty. We have living hope because we have a living Savior. And heaven is secure for us because death has been defeated for us. Praise God. And then look at the second blessing that flows out of our new birth. Verse four, we've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So think about it. Every pleasure this world has to offer us, and there are some impressive pleasures out there. Money, power, popularity, sex, material possessions. But in a real sense, 
it's all gonna fade. A wise man once said, naked I came into this world and naked I'm gonna leave. This is my version. I came here in my birthday suit and I'm gonna leave in my birthday suit. That's it. In one sense, every pleasure, every promise this world affords us, it's going to fade, it's going to expire. But in Christ, we have an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance kept in heaven, secure. Praise God that heaven is secure. Praise God that even as we may lose our earthly privileges, we may lose our earthly status, we may lose every benefit this world has to offer us, still heaven is secure because they can't take away what they didn't give us. God saved us, and so our salvation is secure, and we can't lose what we didn't earn. God saved us, and so God will keep us. Heaven is secure. Praise God. Secondly, the apostle leads us to praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. Praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. Man, the mood of this changes quickly. Through the next few verses, the apostle is going to put their suffering in the context of God's purpose to grow their faith. The encouragement lies in the truth that God is not wasting your pain. Your pain, your trials are intimately tied to God's purpose of sanctifying and refining you helping us to more sincerely, more deeply trust in him. So look at verses six through seven. In this, you rejoice. In other words, in this secure salvation that he's just elaborated on in verses three through five, in this secure salvation, you rejoice. Even though... Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But you've been grieved by various trials, verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, your faith more precious than gold, gold which perishes though it's tested by fire, you've been tested like this so that your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So do you see what the apostle's saying here? The various trials we go through on our exile in this world, these trials are refining our faith. In the same way that gold is refined and purified by fire, our faith is refined and purified by trials and the obstacles we face in this life. Brothers and sisters, Our suffering is not meaningless. Our suffering has purpose. It is removing every impurity from our faith. Our suffering works to rid us of self-reliance, self-satisfaction, self-centeredness. They cause us to rely on God more fully, more exclusively. So that in the end, when our sojourn is over, our faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. And so Peter goes on to say here in verses eight through nine, 
even though Christ has not been revealed yet, even though we haven't seen him before, even though we do not see him now, having been tested by trials, we still love him. And we still trust in him and rejoice in him, rejoice with joy inexpressible. And so truly, it pains me to say that nothing causes us to love Jesus more. Nothing causes us to trust Jesus more. Nothing causes us to rejoice in Jesus more than suffering. No saint of God rejoices in God like one who's been through the refining fires of this life and came out on the other end humbled, purified, stretched, shaped, molded. The Savior may still be invisible to their eyes, but they have experienced the presence of the Savior in prayerful trust. They have felt his nearness in times of distress, and so now they can rejoice like they mean it. Because through this refining experience, through this testing experience, we are obtaining, Peter says in verse 9, the goal of our faith, the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So yes, our salvation is secure, praise God, but... The Christian life is not a rocket ship to the netherworld. It is a sojourn. It is a pilgrimage. It is a sanctifying journey whereby the Lord teaches us trust. He teaches us humble dependence upon him. So this is not easy, but it is good. Praise God, our suffering reveals our faith. Finally, the apostle calls on these elect exiles. He calls on us, praise God that salvation has come. Praise God that salvation has come. Interestingly, in verses three through 12, this section that we're looking at, it works backwards in time as far as each section's emphasis on our salvation. So in verses three through five, Peter primarily focuses on our future salvation, secure in heaven. In verses six through nine, he primarily focuses on our present situation and how God is refining us through our current earthly trials. And here in verses 10 through 12, the apostle primarily focuses on the past and the truth that our salvation is the fulfillment of promises made to God's people through the prophets. So listen again to verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, this salvation that we are rejoicing in, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, these prophets searched and inquired carefully. They were inquiring what person, what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when the Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories through their prophecies. Well, it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but their prophecies were serving you, church, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So Peter says the Old Testament prophets, they searched and inquired carefully, trying to figure out who the Christ was, trying to figure out when the promised Savior would come. But what the prophets found out is that they weren't going to find out. 
Through their prophecies, they weren't serving themselves. They were serving you. We have the benefit of reading the Old Testament in light of the fulfillment of the Old Testament through the coming of Christ. So God's people during the Old Covenant, they had the promises. They trusted what God would do, but they didn't see the promises fulfilled. They didn't get to see him and hear the good news of what he did. This made me think of Thanksgiving. Imagine that you show up at grandma's or your friend's home for Thanksgiving meal, best meal of the year, already excited about it. Countdown is on once fall hits. Turkey and dressing and sweet potatoes, regular mashed potatoes and gravy, cornbread, rolls, green bean casserole, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie, on and on we could go with the glories of Thanksgiving Thursday. But imagine you show up to this most anticipated meal and all that's presented to you is printed out copies of the recipes for these different dishes. You might read through these recipes and think, man, that sounds good, but something's missing, right? You would not get to sink your teeth into the fulfillment of those recipes. There would be this longing and hole in your soul, not just the hole in your stomach. There would be a hole in your soul hoping for completeness of those directions, those recipes. Well, the apostle is saying to us here, church, you just don't have the prophecies. You don't just have the recipes of God's redemption plan. You have seen its fulfillment in Christ. The prophets served not themselves. They served you. When you heard the gospel, when you heard of the sufferings on your behalf and his subsequent glorious resurrection, when you heard the gospel, you were hearing the Thanksgiving Day fulfillment feast of your salvation. These gospel truths are so utterly marvelous. The good news of the Son of God's death and resurrection on our behalf for sinners. That gospel is so unthinkably awesome. Peter adds there at the very end of verse 12. Even angels long to look into these things. These spiritual beings who dwell in the immediate presence of God, even they long to look into the wonders of salvation. Brothers and sisters, we are not at home. Our ultimate citizenship is not in Michigan, And it's not in America. It is in heaven. We are strangers living in a foreign land. We are spiritual exiles, immigrants, refugees, a long way from the promised land. And it is not always going to be easy for us to be so far from home. At best, we're misunderstood. We're mistreated with hurtful comments and rude words. At worst, we're put to death. Like our Lord, like so many martyrs in the faith. There's various trials, difficulties of all sorts, and our pilgrimage can be painful. And the Apostle Peter has much to say to us by way of instruction and direction. 
But his first step is let's worship. Let's worship the God who has secured salvation for us. Let's worship the God whose providence oversees our pain and is growing us. Let's worship the God who faithfully fulfilled his word. The Savior came. He lived. He died. He rose for us and for our salvation. Let's give him our praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand and prepare our hearts to give him praise. Father in heaven, we join the apostle this morning and say, blessed be your name, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit working through the truth of the gospel giving us new life, giving us living hope, giving us an eternal home. Lord, we praise you. We give you all glory for our salvation, not to us. We were blind, we were dead, we were dumb to the truth of the gospel. You woke us up, you gave us life, you secured heaven for us, and so we praise you. Father, we also praise you for your providence in our lives, overseeing our pain. We thank you for your fatherly hand of love that leads us through difficulties and grows us even through the most painful experiences of this life. Lord, I pray for the struggling saint this morning. Help us hold on in faith. Help us trust your love. Help us cling to the cross and may our faith be found in the end to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. Lord, may every pilgrim here persevere with a worshipful spirit trusting in you. Lord, we give you all the praise. From our hearts now, come praise for the glories of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.